Hi guys and welcome to another episode of the Flip the Mindset podcast. I know the world is upside down just now, but I hope my podcast will bring some hope, some well-needed motivation and inspiration to those who need it. I want to introduce our first long-term sponsor. Silver Lining Debt Relief help people break free from debt. Silver Lining are specialists in government-backed debt solutions that can vastly reduce monthly payments, freeze interest and write off unaffordable debt. Debt is not only defaults and letters, it is also a lot of your income going out to pay creditors, stress, worry and missing out on making memories with your family. By facing debt rather than avoiding it, you will have less to worry about, security, more money each month and a better financial future free from the misery of debt. We are here to help people find a manageable, legally binding solution to get out of debt. You can check out our debt calculator on our website to quickly discover if you qualify for help at www.sldr.uk. Alternatively, you can email sldr at info at sldr.uk or you can call them on 0141-473-5200 It's not a weakness accessing help. Take the right steps to manage your day. Now, on to the podcast. Hi guys, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of the Flip the Mindset podcast. This is a special episode today and the first time we've done this. Um, so today we're going to be speaking about men's mental health and suicide. Um what is suicide? Why why does suicide happen? Um, we've got, we're going to be answering many questions today, but we have got on two fantastic, um, amazing and brave people. We've got Rebecca, who sadly her partner committed suicide six months ago. Um, she has been left with three children and she's very, very brave for coming on today. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, we've also got Dylan, who's had a very, very tough and traumatic childhood. He's been in and out of care. His mum and dad were unfortunately drug addicts, and um, they're both here to share their experiences. And um, both people have been close to suicide, um, whether it been attempted or they've 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 um, dealt with the consequences. So, a very exciting podcast today, and the fact that this is not talked about as much, and I think we need to get not not exciting, maybe exciting is the wrong word. We've not to get. I think we need to get more active, proactive about talking about suicide. Um, so it excites me today that we may be able to get many more people talking about it with this episode. So why people may commit suicide, I'm going to read a couple of um, of facts here. So it might be difficulties accessing or receiving care. It could be access to means of suicide inappropriate um, media reporting, we know what the social media, um, the impact social media have had, i.e. with Caroline Flack and stuff. Could be the stigma associated with mental health, substance abuse or suicidal behaviour which um, prevents people from seeking help, poverty, experience of trauma or abuse, experience of disaster, war and conflict. That could lead on to things like PTSD, etc. Something I've suffered from myself. Could be experience of discrimination, isolation, a lack of social support, relationship breakdowns, 
loss or conflict. And then it could be more personal to the individual person, like previous suicide attempts, self-harm behaviours which lead on to a suicide, um, mental ill health, where you've got um, so many people now with diagnosed and undiagnosed mental health problems. Drug and alcohol misuse and financial loss or debt and stuff like that. There's so many things that can that can um, put the unfortunate factors in place and, and play them in a fashion that someone could end up taking their own life. Um, so we're going to start off with Dylan. Um, give Rebecca a bit of time to, <laughs> to kind of relax into it. <laughs> Um, Dylan, I want you to talk about your experiences, talk about your just your, your childhood growing up and what led you to obviously the suicide um, attempts or, the, or being close to suicide. Um, so when I was growing up, um, I lived in a council estate. Um, there was a lot of drink, drugs, um, violence, um, poverty, if you like. Um, and it was seen from the outside as a very rough area. Um, and I came from a really big family um, and there was a lot of unemployment in the family, um, as I say, drug and drink misuse and stuff like that. Um, so for me, um, my dad was a single parent as well. Um, so growing up, it was really, 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 sorry, challenging. Um, and I felt like I never had anything. And, and it was like I felt like I had absolutely no one um, when I would go home. Um, and as you've said, my mum my and dad were both um, drug addicts. Um, but what I would say is my dad, um, who's like my best mate, um, who is in a fellowship at the moment and he's he's turned his life around. Um, he works with NHS in Glasgow, he's a drug counsellor now. Um, so he's turned his little, um, life around and he did do his best. Um, but for me, growing up, it was very difficult um, for me and my sister and and we would be hanging around with people and it was like, we never had what they had. So from a very young age, um, I craved I craved what they had because I didn't have it, it much. And then um, when I went home, all I wanted was like a cuddle or like telling me you loved me and stuff like that. And and that's stuff I never really got growing up. Um, and it was really, really difficult. And unfortunately, um, my dad was an addict and he was a single parent. So we went into foster care and stuff like that. Um, and the big one for me was just before high school, um, a documentary called Raplock Stories, and that's the place I'm from. Um, the BBC contacted us and wanted to do a documentary, not just on um, on us, um, but other people um, who were who lived in the Raplock. So um, obviously my dad was on as a drug addict, um, bringing up two kids on his own. Um, so when that went on national TV, um, it went on national TV and it, it it looked like it didn't look great. Uh, let's just say that it, it brings a a lot of bad memories up for me. Going to high school, people knowing um, what my dad was, who I was. Um, so straight for there, I had to be somebody. I wasn't. I had to create this persona, and I had a, I wore ma a mask for years that I had to pretend I was tough. I had to pretend. I had to lie about. Saying my dad worked, saying my dad had a car, um, and he never had any of those things because I wanted to fit in so badly. I wanted people to like me. So I felt like what everybody at school had, I had to say I had that. And the reality was I had absolutely nothing. Um, I had nothing. Um, as I say, my dad did do his best, but it, 
for me, looking back, it wasn't enough. Um, I didn't get the attention. I felt really unwanted. Um, and, and that was a difficult time for me um, growing up. Um, and, and I had to obviously be someone else. And what kills me as well, it's like, I used to get, like there was a taxi. Um, it used to pick me up for foster care and take me to school. Um, and my mates and stuff would say to me like, oh, like, how are you getting a taxi to school? Straight away lying, all that, like having to lie from a young age. My dad's a taxi driver. Um, and I think most of the friends at that age obviously knew that I was kind of lying, but they kind of understood that I made myself out to be something I wasn't because of all my insecurities. So it was tough. It was really tough. Um, Sorry to interrupt. Uh, now, I just want to people to get more of a gist of yeah. of what's went on. Um, so your dad had you and your sister, yes. was it, when I was talking to you before? Yeah. Um, and you knew he was on drugs on yes. heroin. Um, but he was he protected you in a way that you never seen it, you never seen yeah. any of the act. Yeah. So how did what I want to know is how did you deal with the change of persona? Obviously, when he's so I don't know if you call it sober. Yeah. <laughs> and then obviously he's then on the drugs, and you're feeling that whole shift in the house. Yeah. That whole shift of his of mm-hmm. his behaviour. Um. So obviously you going to school knowing there was mm-hmm. something wrong. Yeah. Did it take you for a while to understand? Yeah, so it wasn't until I got into recovery myself um, that I understood what addiction was and what he was fighting. And I look back and I think, wow, like he was a drug addict, but he still made sure we were at school. He'd done the best he could for us. And I didn't appreciate that at the time. Um, and I've no, I've got no hesitation in saying that I grew up hating my dad. Um, there came a point where I walked by him in the street um, because of what I, what I felt he was. Um, I, I seen him as a waster and and I blamed him for everything. Um, and today I'm in a place where I, I don't blame my dad. Um, I understand what the disease of addiction is and what it can do to people and what it can do to families. Um, and at the end of the day, if my dad wasn't there, we would have been in foster care until we were 16 because my mum was never present at any time. Um, but it was difficult um, and school was an escape for me. But when I look back, I went to school and created problems because I wanted the teachers to give me attention, attention that I never got in the house. Um, I got, I felt like I never got attention. So yep. the only way I was getting attention was by going to school, acting out or going home from school, running out with my pals and, and doing what I was doing, like chapping doors and, and all the things you do as a young boy. Um, and I'm not saying I brought the police to the door because um, I, I didn't, but I created problems. I was cheeky to like ladies walking by in the street and just just craving attention. I, I craved attention my full life. Of course. Um, and it was difficult. Yeah, the attention you're craving is obviously the attention you weren't getting at home. Yes, yeah. Um, can see how difficult it is when you're speaking about it. Um, if you need to take a second, then you can yep. You can carry on. Um, you you almost became a, a father figure to your sister. Yep. Um, what was the age difference between you two and how... When you're, where do you find the strength to go to school every day, be checking on your sister, come home, be um, trying to get food prepared and all that? And where do you get the strength to, to, to keep going? Because obviously I know what it's like um, when I had a wee bit of a gambling issue and I'm lying. Or even with my mental health, I'm lying about, they came hand in hand, can I think yeah. I'm lying and lying and you almost mm-hmm. become you almost become like you put you get this mask out your pocket mm-hmm. you put it on and then 
you know, you click, don't you? And then you just change and it's mm-hmm. it's really happened mm-hmm. be, trying to be someone else. Um, and it, it can almost become, you start belie- you start getting confused of who you really are as a person, you know? So just explain um, the strength. The strength, mm-hmm. I think, is honestly incredible Yeah, that, that you had and you showed, and to, especially to turn your life around to where you are now. But just tell us a bit more about um, about kind of the end of school, yeah, and then going on to kind of adulthood. Mm-hmm. So I obviously explained a little bit that when I did go to school, I used to like act out and get in trouble and stuff like that. Um, for me, I, I had a big massive fall with my dad. I think it was about fourth year, um, and I went and stayed with my aunt for a, a little while um, while my sister was still living with my dad because. For me, I could. I was that. I, that was. I was that age. I understood what was going on in the house. My sister was still young. She had her dancing and stuff like that. So she kind of stuck by my dad um, until she got to the age where she kind of started to realise what I realised a few years before. Um, so I went and stayed with my auntie, and, and it was just that calm atmosphere going in. Like dinner was made. Um, I just felt like I could go home after school and relax, um, and no worry about who's chapping the door. Um, or my dad's in the room or stuff like that and she created an environment it just felt very homely and something that I've always wanted it's like wow this is oh is this what it feels like to to sit there and all have dinner and talk about how our day was and and people asking how I was and how my school is and and see from then it was like I started to stick in at school believe it or not stayed on to sixth year became a prefect I started having these goals that I wanted to go to college um, I wanted I wanted to be a PE teacher, um, but I had to go to college first because unfortunately I didn't have all the grades um, that was required for um, for uni to do PE teaching. So mm-hmm. I went to college, um, but I was still fighting those demons inside. I was still wearing that mask that everything's okay, my life's great. I, I've done that. I still do that today. I create this life for myself on the outside that I feel amazing and look at my life, I've got a nice car, I've always kept my job, but seeing the inside, I'm, I was broken, um, completely and utterly broken, like, why me? Why has this happened to me? Like, my dad, what he was, and just that, I sat in self-pity for quite a few years as well, um, and it's a really dangerous game, sitting in self-pity, because you start to think the world's against you, um, nothing's going right for you, um, and, and that mindset, you're just, you're just defeated before even trying anything new. Um, and I knew that um, I was at rock bottom and I just had to get out of that somehow. I had to get out of that hole. And the only way I was going to do that um, is taking a bit of responsibility um, because I'm, I'm good at blaming everyone else, blaming my dad. Um, I had a rubbish life and stuff. But see, in reality, it doesn't matter where you're, where you're from, what you had is growing up, how much money you've got in the bank or anything like that. The reality is you need to deal with what's in the inside and you need to speak about it. You need to be open about how you really feel. Um, and I feel like if I'd done that a few years ago, um, I would be in a much better position. Um, and I think it doesn't matter. As I say, I, I, I've got a mate who's a very successful businessman um, and he's uh, and he's, he works in an environment every single day. Um, he's stressed, he works over the top and stuff. But he's like, I feel rubbish. And that is important to realise. It doesn't matter about money and what you've got. Um, what you've got, it doesn't, that doesn't come into it. Mental health is 
crazily important, um, not just to people like myself who have had a rubbish um, upbringing, but to anyone. Mental health can be to any single yeah. person. And that's what I think um, the stigma should be about. It's not just about me having poor Dylan, he's, got, he's had a tough childhood. It doesn't matter what you've had. It's what you feel on the inside and about being having the ability to speak about it because there is help out there. Yeah, well spoken, mate. I'm very brave. Um, absolutely, it doesn't matter if you're a footballer, a doctor, a surgeon. Um, I grew up with a boy... As I said to you, he, he left the party one time and just went and, and, and took his own life. And he, he had a great family, great upbringing. Um, he was always happy, always life. So always seemed happy yeah. in life. So I don't know what you never goes on. In, you don't know what goes on in, in personal terms. But, and he'd done that. And everyone was so shocked because it was at the time um, suicide was maybe becoming much more drastic. And... Um, it's, it's, it doesn't, it wears no certain jacket, you yeah. know, it, it can be anyone. Anyone can be affected at any point of their life. Um, myself, I've been affected, and at that point, I was the happiest person ever with my mask on. And I think that's important for people to, to realise. You know, I was the happiest person ever, but inside, I was, I was, I, I was, I was, I was empty. Um, and the stigma has a lot to do with that. Of course, and um, there was a huge stigma, wasn't there? And there still is a big stigma, and 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 that's something that when Rebecca speaks, she's so passionate to 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 change, and we need it wiped. We need yep. this stigma gone, and that's why I do my stuff. That's why I talk openly and honestly. A lot of people still say to me, Kenny, how can you lay that out there about yourself? How can you say that about yourself? How can you go out and say? You know, you're suicidal now. Do you know, I think people will be pure judging your upcoming um, employers will be pure judging you and stuff like that. I don't give a, I don't give a shit. I mean, they're going to judge me on having a hard time. Then mm -hmm. that shows who they are, not me. I think we need to get this in where, where it's perfectly okay to talk. If you have a bad day, it's okay. If you're sad, it's okay. You know, if you if you're, it's okay to be sad. People don't think this anymore. No, it's not being sad. You just get your socks up and go home. It's okay to be sad. I had to tell my client, who's a really manly old school guy, you know, I had to say, mate, it's okay to be sad. He ended up getting angry with me because I was saying that. He was like, oh, oh, rubbish, you know what I mean? I had burst my life socks up and all that. I said, mate, it's okay to be sad. Yeah. So I'm no sad, you know what I mean? And still, so we've still got this, this, this stigma attached. What I want to ask still is, is reasons why you didn't come out and speak sooner. Before before we go on to kind of the suicide attempt and stuff mm -hmm. like that, I want to I want to ask why didn't you come out and, and, and talk sooner? What was your reasons for 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 holding it all in? So my whole life, um, I was going to say a lie, but that's probably been a bit extreme. Um, but for me, um, so everyone knew the life I had growing up. Um, obviously, they've seen it on national TV, and a lot of people know me. So it was like. I felt like from a young age, I had a point to prove. So when I took my sister away and we got a flat um, and like everyone was like, wow, like how have you done that? How have you got the strength to do that? Um, and part of it was like, because I want, I was desperate for everyone. I was desperate for everyone to be like, look what he's achieved and stuff like that. So I crave that again, it's craving that attention. People talking about me going, you've turned your life around from where you were to what you've got now. Um, and I just felt like I had to do that every single day prove a point i was proving a point to my friends i was proving a point to society my area and stuff like that so i felt like for me to say how i really felt 
it would be like I'm failing at life. Um, I'm failing like I shouldn't be feeling like that. So I've tried so hard. I need to work on this stuff every single day. And it's like, I've now created this life that I've got away from what I've got away from, but then I can't show anybody my weakness. I can't let people see that I'm really struggling in the inside because I've created this external life and on the outside, my life looks amazing because, and that's what I want. I want people to go, he's doing well. I don't even want people to say, oh, he's struggling, look mm -hmm. at him. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like as well that there's a gap in this as well. It's like people my age and younger or, or older, they, they do try and, well, me certainly, I was struggling and I was trying to speak to my friends about it, but see if they're not going through that same thing, they didn't really want to, they didn't want to really take that on and because they didn't understand it. They didn't know point. what it's like. They've, be, they've been kind of brought up in an environment that's maybe different from me and they've always had things easy. They've always had their mums and dads there to look after them and pick up the pieces. Whereas for me, I, I've always had to learn things myself and I made so many mistakes in the process. Um, but then nobody would really say, right, you need to do it this way. I always mm -hmm. had to learn for myself mm -hmm. and I've always had to rely on myself. Whereas I think most of my friends have always had someone there. Um, mm -hmm. And I just felt like when I'm trying to offload my problems, I never really had anyone, although there was help out there, I didn't really, I, I didn't really want it because I didn't want people thinking I'm struggling. Absolutely, is a great point there about the, I, I was the same that way when opening up my pals who have, who have messaged nowadays and says, listen, I'm sorry yeah. and stuff like that, but at the time they didn't want to take it on. I think this is something that we don't admit mm -hmm. enough. I think girls might not understand this as well because girls always talk. Yeah. They're amazing at it. Or yeah. Rebecca might tell me that that's the wrong. <laughs> but but from most girls I speak to, they 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 just seem to be able to groups of girls just seem to be able to lay it all out and talk. Yeah, you know, it may not all of course, but you know most I speak to and I'll say right, if you get a good base, oh the girls are brilliant. You know what I mean? They'll, but the boys, you're not doing that. Yeah. I, I group a group but no. Make it a Saturday night playing FIFA as we used mm -hmm. to do every every weekend on a Saturday. Um, you're not opening up about what's going on at home and in that FIFA game. Um, when you're there, you'll get told, "Oh, shut up, you and pull mm -hmm. your pants up." Yeah. You know what I mean? Literally, that's yeah. what we get told. Yeah. You try pull them aside, and depending on what mood you're in, it's funny. Oh, you know, I've got enough on my plate or something like that. You know what I mean? Or it would just be, uh huh, uh huh, and just totally over yeah. the head. And that for me made me feel. Even worse. Yeah. Even I'd, worse. I'd I was trying to use my best pals, you know, I was trying to open up to them and I was getting nothing. Yeah. And then I was just like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. hold it all in. I think with the, the, the women having the outlet, I think it shows in the statistics. Let's be honest, the, the male suicide statistic is, is, is frightening. Frightening. On a global scale, I think it was in 2018, you've got 800,000 people mm -hmm. commit suicide. That's, that's mental. That is literally crazy. Crazy and and for me, 2020, 2021 is going to be a lot worse. Mm -hmm. Um, and the coming years. So, what I want you to talk to us about, Dylan, is the, the lead up to the worst place in your life. Um, so I think for me, it gradually, it was it was a gradual, slow, gradual process. So, um, as I say, I created this life for myself that I've got a job, I've looked after my sister, I moved on and got my own flat. Um. What I found as well is I hung about with different groups of people. Um, so like, I've got about five or six people, my go-to friends who I would tell things to and trust. But for me, it was like, I was hanging about with all different groups of friends. I wanted to be liked by everyone. Um, I got into like going up the town and stuff, having a drink. 
um, and all that kind of stuff um, mm-hmm. when I was about 24, 25. Um, and I got introduced um, to cocaine um, and I, to- I-, I took a line of cocaine. And from there, it took me away from how I really felt about myself. Um, it made me feel invincible. Um, like, I felt like, wow, this is a Dylan show. Like, I felt like I had all my mates around me and I was the laugh. I was the one that was making people laugh. I felt like everybody loved me. Um, but in reality, I was slagging myself. I was slagging my, my family um, and all that stuff. All the stuff that I worry and my fears and, and my insecurities and the inside was coming out when I was on the drink and when I was on the drugs. And it started off um, as just a, a couple at the weekend. And before you know it, I was... I was doing it more regularly at any opportunity. And I was thinking that was, I always said to myself, I will never, ever take drugs. Um, just because I've seen what it done to my, my family. I've seen what it's done to other people. Um, but when I took that first one, there was just no stopping. Um, and and that's when I think, that that's when I think it became a very difficult stage in my life that, um, <sighs> I... I've started becoming this person that I never ever wanted to be. Um, and I just went with it. I kept doing it. Um, and I would I would get to about the Sunday, Monday, and I would just be like, I don't even like this. I don't like what it's doing to me. Um, I just, I hated it. I hated the person I had became. Um, and people thought I was funny and people thought it was a great laugh and I was crying myself to sleep going, why have I, why have I started to take this drug? Like, I can't stop. And on the outside, I would still go on social media. I would go for nice meals with my mates and I would buy myself clothes. I would still put it on social media. So, and I would still make my work. And there was a couple of times that I didn't make work because of taking the drink and, and the drug. Um, but I still created, I still was able um, through all that to make it on the outside that my life was absolutely fine. And in reality, I was broken. Um, I was suicidal. Um, I met my girlfriend who I'm still with today. Um, and she has been the biggest support in my life. Um, biggest support. I walked all over the top of her um, and I treated her really rubbish. Um, and that's the thing for me. I didn't let people in. I've got this barrier um, that anybody that comes in my life is going to walk over the top of me and I felt insecure. Um, I've got a struggle with trust um, and I let her in, um, but the drugs had taken over and the thing and the thing is as well, is like I was going home to her and crying in her arms in bed going, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to take drugs. But then the next weekend, I would do it again. As soon as I was in a big group of my mates, I felt like I had to be that person because I wore that mask. Um, and one night... Um, I was I was on drugs and I ran up a train track, suicidal. Um, it took me to that point. I didn't know I was going to do it. I just got a taxi for a house party, ran up a train track, and before you know it, I woke up on the Sunday in a psychiatric ward in Larbert Hospital. Um, and then a, a couple of hours had gone by, and it was like uh, my friends had came. Oh, like my mates had came to see me, and I'm like looking at myself and like, what the hell have I done? This is pure insanity. Um, but what's more insanity about that is that the week later, I'd done exactly the same thing. I went back into that um, group of people and I'm not for any way bl- blaming anyone else. Um, this was all me. 
um, because I wanted to feel a part of. Um, even though inside it was killing me, I was broken, I didn't want to do it, I had no control over it because I was craving that attention. I wanted them all to laugh at me, I wanted them all to like me, um, but I was broken inside and there was nothing I could do um, to get away from it. Um, and then on the 12th, 11th of July, it was my friend's birthday and I promised my girlfriend that I was just going to have a couple of drinks. I was just going to have a couple of drinks because that's what you think. Uh, you think you can just drink. Um, and in reality, I picked up um, cocaine again. Um, and, my, and I was again, I was in that same dark place that I've, all, I've been in my life, just so unmanageable, um, hated everything. I was suicidal again. Um, and I promised her from that day that I'll never touch a drink or drug again. Um, and I'm sitting here today, almost seven months clean. Um, and I, I've not thought about it because I know where it's going to take me. Um, and, and that's the thing as well. Um, so that was on the Saturday night. Um, we spoke on the Sunday. I promised her that this is it this time. I need to do this for me, not for her, but for me first, and she'll get the benefits. Um, and on the Monday, I worked from home. Um, and I said to her that um, I was going for to pick up the lunch and I ended up at the train tracks sitting in my car and I was just watching two, it was about 30 minutes and a couple of trains had gone by and I was like, you know that way? I was like, I don't want to do this. I, I need help. I need professional help. Um, and I, no word of a lie. Um, my mate will watch this, it's like, just got this chap on the window and I'm absolutely crying. He's working in a garden, just a couple along. I didn't even see him in a parked the car. He's like, what are you doing? I was just like, broken, crying. I don't know. I don't know. I need help. And he was like, what? He could not believe the state that he had seen me in because I had created this life and this on the outside that my life was fine. And, and he didn't see that part of me and I finally opened up. Um, and my dad and stuff came from work and my girlfriend and it was like, I need to do something about this. I need to finally just tell people how I really feel rather than keeping it inside. And that's what I done. And I do that every single day. Um, I need to tell people how I'm feeling. I need to tell my girlfriend how I'm really feeling. And this whole drinking drugs was to fit in, be a part of this culture in society now that everybody thinks is so cool. And it's not, it's really not. I wouldn't recommend it because it takes you to very dark places. And that's where I was in a really dark place. And I never want to get ever back to that place. Well done. Brought some memories back, I'm sure, for all of us. Um, well done, mate. Well done. Um, I think it's really important, uh, the cocaine use thing. Um, <clears throat> So many boys you hear of <clears throat> these days um, are on cocaine when they when they take their life. So many. Whether it comes out or not, you always know. You know, um, someone close to them, or or we we know it's the, a huge killer. Um, cocaine and and you go to the clubs the weekend in the pubs, and you're eighty percent. The pubs are just rotating. Eighty percent of the people in the pubs are just rotating to the toilet to snort cocaine. Ah, uh, it's weird. You brought so many memories back. I promised my brother at his grave I would never touch drugs or anything like that because he died of drugs, and then I found myself in a toilet sniffing it. 
and not many people even know that now, I don't think. And um, yeah, took me to a real bad place. Um, you do it that night, you're the happiest guy in the world. All your fears have gone. It almost doesn't allow you to think bad. And then a few hours later, it can be it's the worst time place. of your life. Lonely. And, I, and it's, it eats you alive, doesn't it? You're sitting in your bed, your heart's beating at fucking 200 beats per minute. You're thinking the worst thoughts and you've got the worst, they call it the fear, don't they? You've got the worst fear and you're thinking the worst thoughts and you you're, you think you're disgusting, don't you? You think you're disgraceful. You think, why? You know, and I remember it clear, lying in my bed all day, just, just wanting to... They're just so suicidal. And men actually admit this on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram all the time, that after they've used cocaine, they feel suicidal. Yep. And um, it's a big get-out for people, but the wrong get-out. Yep. It's the absolute wrong get-out. And um, See, for me as well, it was like, I started off as, um, it was just a little bit at the weekend, with your mates, it was all socialised and you were all a part of the wee group and everyone's laughing and joking, you can go to the club and before you know it, a few months down the line, you didn't go to the club, you skip the club, you go to a house, then you're there to the Sunday, into the Monday um, and then at the start of lockdown, I'm in my room, myself, lonely, my girlfriend's walking about the house doing housework and stuff and I'm sitting with a plate of cocaine in front of me and I think, how have I went from a little bit at the weekend to sitting with a plate in my house thinking that is acceptable, thinking that that is normal. I thought that was normal. That is insanity. And that's where it takes you. With a click of the finger, you've went for a couple at the weekend to being in groups of people to in your room, in a dark room, on your own, full of fear, full of anxiety. And that is where it takes you. It's a very, very dangerous place. And it's hard to get out of. Um, until you finally hit your rock bottom and you, you just need to accept defeat because it can take you to that next step. Yeah, I think, and I know that I mean, some people watching this are going through that right now. Personally, I know as well. And they'll be sitting watching this um, very inspired from yourself. And um, it's sad because a friend close to mine, sorry, I'm... A friend close to mine as well is doing that, sitting in the dark room and and um and they're not in a good place with it and it's it's taken so many and it's it's having a very, very detrimental effect effect on on our society for sure. Um what do we do about it? Do we educate more? Do we um I think for you guys, if you're struggling with that cocaine abuse, and it's not just the cocaine, it's the debt that comes from it. And if you're a weekend on cocaine, you can be five grand, which costs you £400 or whatever. Do you know what I mean? And and, and then you can get in trouble with that, with with tick or what they call it, tick and all that kind of mm-hmm. madness. Um, it's an expensive lifestyle. It's very, very expensive. And then you can start stealing from it. And then it can become a full, full-on addiction. Mm-hmm. And functional addiction as well. Mm-hmm. People I know that go to work and take it, you know, we knew it was the rich drug that was always in the Wall Street and all that, didn't we? But there's people that actually go to work and take this throughout the day. They can't get out of taking it. Yeah. And um and, and this is scary, mm-hmm. you know, functional addicts. And um 
it's just it's very something I think we're all very passionate on. Yep. Okay, um, recovery. Recovery. You've you've came through the other side. You have done what I wrote for the mindset for to to get back from the darkest of places to get back from the darkest times in your life and you're doing that you've you've done that and you're doing that how's it going now how are you feeling what's happening well i feel much better um i'm in a really good place um always on the outside it's it's great um because i created that life i created that lie i created the mask um but today i'm sitting here like internally i feel much better um, I've still got loads of work to do on myself, um, but inside I feel all right today. I was saying that to the guys um, before we started. I'm comfortable with what I've got in my life um, because you can go on social media and you, nothing against influencers at all. No way. People do their own thing. And I'll always say whatever you do, do what makes you happy. Um, but for me, I used to look at that and think, I want that, look at their life and always completely, always comparing my life. Um, and since I've got into recovery, I've been able to accept what I've got and what I've got is enough. What I've got is enough. I'm happy today. I've got a great relationship. Um, as I say, I'm coming up seven months without a drink or drug um, and I'm going to be a dad for the first time, um, which is unbelievable um, stuff beyond my wildest dreams to be <laughs> honest um, thank you very much um so that that's stuff that i've got to look forward to and that's all down to being able to accept that i was an addict um, accept that my life had become unmanageable and do you know what i don't i no longer have to seek approval from others care what anybody else think at the end of the day i know how i felt on the inside and what i felt i needed to change um, and I think that's important to anyone who's struggling that no matter how you're feeling, there is a way out. Um, and that you don't think, what if he says this or what if my mates are like, blah, blah. So I'll give you an example. Um, my group of friends at the moment, and that's totally fine. When I say I'm an addict, they're like, you're not an addict. And I'm like, no, I am. And that's fine. If they don't think I'm, that's up to them. That's their understanding. But I know deep within myself that I'm an addict. My life had become unmanageable. It doesn't matter what drink or drug or whatever you done, it took me to the same place, a dark place, and I knew I had to change. Um, and whatever they want to do, and if they want to have a drink and stuff, that's fine. But I can't just drink because I know if I pick up a drink, I'm going to pick up a, a, a line of Coke, and that's nowhere I want to be. Um, all I'm doing is try to create a positive mindset within me. Um, and, and by doing that, um, what I'm doing is I'm spending more time with my girlfriend, appreciating the relationship we've got. I'm able to spend time with my, my, my family. Obviously, we're in lockdown, but see, actually giving them a text and asking them how they are and stuff. I never done any of that because it was all about me and I was too embarrassed and ashamed of who I had become. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm starting to enjoy life and appreciate there is a life out there. No matter what, you can achieve what you want to achieve by setting goals. I never thought I would ever set goals a few years ago, yeah. or even at the start of lockdown. And I'm starting to to see the bigger the bigger picture. And I used to do sports coaching, as I say, I went to college and stuff like that. And I start to have all those feelings. Oh, I could get back into coaching, and and that's all stuff that's still there. It's never went away. Um, you just need to want it. You need to find. You need to dig deep. 
is what I'm trying to say. You need to dig deep within yourself and believe in yourself and no care what other people's got to say about it and do what's good for you. Um, and that's what I'm doing today. It's a daily process. Um, I could wake up tomorrow and I'll be sad. But the difference is when I wake up and I'm sad, I do something that's good for me. I'll, I'll go a walk with my girlfriend and I'll tell her how I feel. And I, I, I don't keep it to myself because if I keep it to myself, you can go weeks on weeks on weeks and you're back to that same bad place and you're not getting out of it. Love it. Um, so, yeah. Love it. Um, just before um, we go on to Rebecca, how important or how is how how long have you been with your missus and how has she been through this? Um, so I've been with my girlfriend for just over two years. Um, the first year was... was um, the honeymoon period, if you call it. Um, it was fantastic. Um, I appreciated her. I'd done things for her to make her happy. But unfortunately, the, um, the drink and the drugs always came first. Make It like, it, always, it was always about everyone else um, rather than who was always stood by me. Um, and I, like, I sit here today and I think, wow, like, how lucky am I? Um, that she stuck by me through all the pain and hurt that I put her through. Um, and the reality is it's because she's she seen potential in me. She's seen that I was a nice guy because I'm not a bad guy. I've just made mistakes. Um, I've just made mistakes. Um, and I'll still continue to make mistakes. But the difference is I appreciate her. Um, I appreciate myself. Um, and I'm just happy that she stuck by me because if she didn't, I don't know where I would be. And that's the truth. Okay, Dylan, thank you for that. Really appreciate that. We're all shaking and thinking all and all upset and it's my anxiety through the lift, man. <laughs> oh, um, so we've got Rebecca here, Rebecca Gilmore, um, who's actually a good friend of mine as well, and and unfortunately the father of Rebecca's three kids um committed suicide six months ago. Um so just tell us your experience and your story. Take your time. And, yeah. um, so I have Alex, he's nine. Um, Quinn, he's just turned three. And Sonny, he's one. Um, I had two kids with Daniel. Um, Alex has, a, has another dad. Um, so in July last year, um, the 22nd, 21st of July last year, um, Sonny and Quinn's dad took his own life and I'm now left to raise three kids on my own. Um, he did have a son from a previous relationship as well. So there's four kids that have been left behind and have been affected by this. And to me now, just men's mental health is just so important because, you know, the, the, they're all boys that have been left behind. Yeah. Um, so I just want to do as much as I can to help men, to help anybody that's suffering with depression, that's suicidal, um, and also families that are left behind as well. Um, I've struggled quite a lot to find help for me and my eldest son. He's nine and um, he's, he's really struggled with it, I think because he's more at the age where he understands that Daniel's not coming home, he's not coming back. Um, Whereas my youngest who don't understand that, mm -hmm. it was six weeks before our son's first birthday. Um, so when it first happened, I had to 
I had to phone and speak to specialists, you know, how, how to explain to the kids that dad's not coming home. Um, so when I'd spoke to them, they had explained to me that you, you have to say to them that daddy's never coming home anymore. Um, otherwise, they will continue to ask questions. Well, is he coming home? When will he be home? But you have to just continually say that he wasn't he wasn't well or you know I could make the decision to say that he did take his own life I made the decision not to do that I decided to let them know that he wasn't well but which is true you know mental health is an illness um but I just felt at the age of nine it would be far too much for a child to to think that, well, why did he take his own life and start to ask questions? Mm -hmm. um, so when it first happened, I couldn't, I couldn't look at the kids for days. I, I couldn't look at them, I couldn't be around them. And eventually I had to sit my oldest down. And I, I had to explain to him, you know, Daniel wasn't well. Um, th there was nothing that the doctors could do for him and that he died and he just let out this big scream and I think that scream will just haunt me for the rest of my life because as a parent you just want to you want to make sure that nothing ever happens to your children you want to protect them in any way that you can but this is something that you can't control. You can't, you can't take the pain away from them. Um, and I think he's, he's struggled big time. He, he quit the football team. He doesn't play football anymore because Daniel's not there to watch him. He really struggles going to school. Um, so the school have actually given me a a book where he can fill out pictures and write nice messages in um, and he fills that out in school um, but my youngest who don't understand um, it was six weeks before our son's first birthday so he's going to grow up and he'll never know what it's like to have a dad um, Quinn was two at the time so I mean he, he was very much a daddy's boy um, he will still ask me to this day, when is daddy coming home? Can daddy read me a bedtime story? Is he getting me from nursery? And it's just things that are kind of becoming normal for me now. Um, just having to explain to them, well, no, we can't, we aren't going to see daddy again. Um, but my older son gets very upset still when Quinn will say th things like this. Um, Sonny's far too young, he'll, he, he won't ask for him, he'll just kind of say daddy. Um, if he sees pictures of me, he's aware of who he is, but that's, that, that's it really. Um, it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Just, I'm so sorry. Um, you were saying that um, because you didn't you talked talk about help available and you were saying because you didn't um, say, tell your um, mm -hmm. 
tell your children that um, he had committed suicide, mm -hmm. that they wouldn't give you help to explain it. Who was that? And they explained that for us. They, they had just explained that they couldn't really assist us any further because um, their research and their help was how to explain to a child what suicide was, um, why people commit suicide. Um, and I had made the decision not to tell them. I, I, me personally, I Which just think, yeah, um, not that I've got anything against anyone else that does it, but me personally, I just think it's quite a, even for an adult, it's quite hard to understand and quite hard to accept. So how could a child yeah. accept that? Um, especially with my oldest son, he's a very sensitive wee boy. And I just feel like I would have to sit him down all over again and explain it to him again. And I just, it just wasn't for me. It's totally understandable. Um, I don't know if I would tell my boy either. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It's, it's, I think there's a level of, of, of pain and trauma in that, I would say. Mm -hmm. And um, we're so unsure of what trauma can do. Where, where are you now? Um, I'm a lot better. I, I mean, when it first happened, I think I was running just on adrenaline because with our son's first birthday, I then had Alex's birthday, I had Quinn's birthday, I had my own birthday, I had Christmas and New Year. So I was kept busy. Um, but Christmas and New Year, I, I really struggled. Um, but me and the kids, are, uh, we are in a better place. Um, I've just had to kind of pick up the pieces and and just move on, um, get myself into a routine. Um, it's just silly little things that will help my day, like get up, make my bed, go for a shower. Um, I'm, I'm back at work now. Kids are all in school and nursery. So, you know, we are kind of accepting the fact that he's not coming home. Mm -hmm. um, I've got memory boxes for them all. Uh, we've put things in. You know, every single year he used to buy them football strips for Christmas. So this year I decided I'm going to carry that tradition on. Um, so I put all their football strips in the memory box. Um, at Christmas time as well, they got teddy bears made out of his clothes. Um, so we've, they've got them to keep. Um, but it's just one day at a time, I think. Um, there's not much else that you can do. Just try and... <laughs> look at the positive in every outlook and I know it's such a horrible subject but the only positive that I can see from having taken his own life is he's not suffering anymore he's not in pain although it's the whole family is now affected and four children are now affected he's at peace um, it's very hard mm -hmm. it's very confusing mm -hmm. it's very I mean <laughs> There is a lot you leave behind, mm -hmm. you know, and there's a lot of damage from that and damage that can last years. Mm -hmm. um, and everyone else lives with that and um, has to get over that. They say about suicide, they say it being selfish or a covers way out, which is absolutely no, not true. No, it's no. just not true. No. It's just one of the, it must be one of the hardest and most awful, horrible places to be if you actually 
were to go ahead and take your own life, that is just, that is, you can't really even empathise or understand, you know, you can't even, can't even understand it because mm -hmm. I was suicidal and, and, and it was about to take my own life. You were as well, but we didn't, you know, we were there, but we didn't. And when I look back at it, I don't know if I would, I don't know about you, I don't, it's, it's, yeah. it's almost, you don't want to die. You okay. don't, you don't want to die. You just want your pain to, to go, go away. away. Yeah. And, and that's it. I did not want to die. My, my, like for me personally, my mum had lost my brother. Mm -hmm. um, and how, if I was to commit suicide and leave her with, with two sons dead, I, mm -hmm. it just, but I was in this place. I was over, I'm sure as you were as well, I was overshadowed with, mm -hmm. with fear, guilt. I was scared. I was so depressed. I could see nothing but darkness. I was so... I was I was in the deepest, darkest, darkest pit of self pity. I would say yeah. that I did. I just didn't. There was just no light anymore. Jokes weren't funny. My favourite movies weren't good anymore. And I just you almost convince yourself to that you're just that no one likes you. You're not worth it, and you're 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 doing your mum and all that a disservice. And I, I would be um, I would be looked after if I was with my brother. And um, it's such a, we still don't understand it, do we? We're no. just, and I think, will we ever understand it? I think, what do you think needs to be, needs to be done more for, for, for <laughs> men and for me? I mean, there, there was days where you, you, it would look right through you, um, you know, when he, he wasn't well, you know, depression meant it's a mental illness. So, there would be days where I would just, if he was having a bad day, you know, that that wasn't him. Like, he would just look right through you and I would know, like, right, he's having a bad day. Um, and, you know, people that do commit suicide or they're depressed or they just want to, they feel like they're a burden to everybody else in their family. And it's not because they, they don't love their family or they don't, they don't, they don't love their kids it's they're just they're so caught up in their own emotions and they're like fighting their own demons but i i definitely from my own experience um with what we went through i just feel as if people aren't compassionate enough or they're not educated enough especially with times where the police would be called they would be moaning about, you know, having to do their own job or there would be times where he would have to go to the hospital afterwards and the doctor would be saying, well, I don't even know why, why why you're here. Why why were you brought here? Um, and there was one time in particular where I was actually with him um, and I had said to the doctor, well, he, he tried to take his own life. That's why he's here. Like, I don't understand. Is it going to take for someone to take their own life or, you know, something to be done. I, I just, you know, I'm not bashing doctors and police officers and things like that, but I, I, I feel like sometimes you have to be more, you know, understanding and more compassionate. Um, I think that's a huge thing. Mm -hmm. I think absolute great point um, with, with regards to the 
to the empathetic and, and being more compassionate and being more understanding. And we don't have that enough. And mm-hmm. listen, you're not bashing doctors, but you know most doctors. How many times have we heard this story now? Doctors mm-hmm. not standing by. Yeah, I've been. I changed doctors and everything twice mm-hmm. because they would look at me and just go, oh, "I think you're a wee bit anxious. Take that. There you go." Bye. Yep. And I'm like, "No, no, no. I'm I'm losing it. You want to come in?" I here, just Dylan? on that. I think you're absolutely um, spot on. Um, and I obviously said about the. Um, running up the train tracks and ending up in the psychiatric ward and I remember as well it's like I woke up full of fear and I was able to stand up out that bed walk out into a ward and go for the exit without anybody even coming towards me bearing in mind what I've just done the night before I've went to try and take my own life and running up a train track so there was no one there keeping an eye on me or I think they came in a couple of times to ask how I was but like for someone that's just done that, there should me personally looking back on that time, there should have been more people keeping an eye on me, making sure I'm okay. But I was able just to not even discharge myself, just walk out. It's got to be something in place. Yeah, there's actually been more stories on that with people who've had a suicide attempt, end up in a hospital, mm-hmm. and yep. then the police will come up or whatever, then they'll leave, and 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 the one was totally just horrendous. He's just got out of his hospital bed, walked out of the hospital and went and committed suicide after the suicide attempt. Where is the support mm-hmm. for that? I just, that, I'm dumbfounded with that. Why is there not anything in place? You know, this is a massive issue. Mm-hmm. Men's mental health now, men's suicide is huge. Yep. You know, huge. With my platform, Flip the Mindset, mm-hmm. I get hundreds of emails of suicidal people. Yep. Um, you know, because... Uh, if ever I talk to Becca, sometimes I'm really stressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I'll never say anything about who it was or anything, yeah. but I'll be stressed with the overload of people and I'm just trying to say, right, okay, Samaritans, go here, go here, yeah. go there, please, please reach out, please reach out. But it's it's never ending. It's just, we're in such a hard place. Yeah. It's social media now. The papers, everything is negative. See on the social media, so when obviously I came out that dark place, I was trying to do things that were good for me. So I started doing like the Munro's, going out walking, going out jogging, you know, and you go on social media and <laughs> I'm laughing here, but there's people on social media that no matter what you do, they've got an opinion on it. Mm-hmm. So I'm away climbing a Munro and somebody's tweeting about it saying, oh, does it make you a good guy because you're walking up a Munro? And it's like, I'm doing something that's good for me. And I think that's that's massive. Social media is crazy. No matter what you do, People are tweeting about it, got an opinion on it, um, and they're not just letting people be themselves and, and let them, there's, everyone's just got an opinion and and it's really damaging, especially I'm trying to get better and I'm doing something that's good for me and then you've got the, the negative side of it that somebody's commenting what you're doing yeah. and like it's like focus on yourself, worry about yourself. Um, I'm doing this for a reason, I'm doing this to get better, not to, to make it out as if I'm like a Munroo guru or anything like yeah, that. I'm just doing stuff that's good for my mind. And, it's too and, easy now. And I'm wearing it? this, obviously, hoodie as well. It's my mate. Um, he's created an Instagram page and it's like, he's what he's trying to do is promote a positive mindset, a bit like yourself with the podcast. Um, and what he's looking to do is just like life quotes and and just making you, like when I'm going on Instagram, you scroll, fr- scroll through, you see all the holidays, you see people in all the designer clothes um, and stuff like that. And you, you completely, you constantly compare yourself to others 
and you start feeling, oh, why have I not got that? And you question your own self, and I've done that my full life. But then you go on pages like that, and it makes you feel better. It makes you want to go and enjoy your day. Um, and that's what he's trying to do, is try to create an app and create a positive atmosphere. But I think in our society, too many people have got an opinion um, on what other people are doing, and that in itself is damaging. As an individual, you feel work you didn't feel worthly you didn't feel a part of society nobody likes you as you spoke about yeah exactly social media is a huge problem it's uh, i'm doing a lot of revising on 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 pressures of society and on social media is if you go on to social media for two hours you go on to facebook you go on to what do we do we go see a post and we go to the comments don't yeah. we it's all people arguing with each other hating each other being racist being bigots picking bad bits out of people's so someone will have an opinion and the person who comments under it will say all right specky mm -hmm. you know what i mean for your profile pick you're a this yeah you're, you're that you're that and just ponder them this is everywhere you go to twitter it'll just be everyone slaughtering each yep. other for hor horrible horrible things getting said yep. on there and then you'll get celebrities you'll go on and see your celebrities they're getting battered off the media mm -hmm. off the, the newspapers off yep. the press picking things out of their life all the time. Wherever you turn, wherever you look, you go to football, it's just all clickbait and all yeah. all jealousy and all mm -hmm. paper sorting players for personal things yeah. now. Everything is just so personal. So you do need to take that step back, but that's hard because mm -hmm. if you take a step back for all that, you're lonely because everyone's yeah. on all that. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And and this is a very a very a very difficult place. Look, like my friend and we were talking and I'm like, right, well, take a total step back from social media. Yeah. Don't, and he was like, social media is my life. Mm -hmm. I talk to all my mates on there. Have you ever been on there? Mm -hmm. So I says, why don't you obviously see the BBC news and all that? Why don't you stop notifications for them? Yeah. Delete the apps off your phone so you're not getting any pop-ups and just keep mm -hmm. it with that. But then, then he says, I've got nothing to talk to them about then. Mm -hmm. Like and that's he's not in the know, mm -hmm. you know, he's not, he doesn't know what's going on in the world and that can be lonely as well yeah. you know there's just within this world you know it's like a trap it's like mm -hmm. you know it's, it's it's a real it's it's, it's so difficult we're talking about pressures of society you're daniel mm -hmm. um how long was kind of the episode going on for so like when you said you went to see people and all that kind of stuff how long was it was it kind of slowly graduating or was it um was it more a quick change in them so since kind of i had met daniel he would he was um you know he'd suffered from depression um so i knew from the very beginning um but he was always this really happy guy. If you didn't know him the way like me and his family and his friends would know him, then you would think that he, you wouldn't you wouldn't think that he was depressed. Um, but he he would go to I think he would go to meetings, um, and I remember the woman saying to him once, "Well, you don't need to come back anymore. You're doing great." But in his mind, he would say to me, yeah, I don't need to go back anymore. That's me. I'm fine. And I'm thinking, no, no, you're not fine. Like, you need to carry this on. Um, so to me personally, I, I, I just wish that they wouldn't kind of cut it short. They, they need to make it longer, you know, 
make you go to these meetings and counselling sessions for a lot longer mm -hmm. instead of just seeing the improvement and thinking well we'll see you back in a few months time and it's like no can we just keep it to you know an every week thing yeah. instead of just leaving it a couple of months and then going back again because he would definitely in his mind he would always say to me oh I'm fine I'm fine now I don't need to go back and then it would be a struggle to get him to go back and it would when get uh -huh, and it would be a struggle to get him to how are you feeling today and it, it, yeah fine and then you would know he's sinking back into this this dark hole again um, I think this is where that like we do a lot of um kind of looking into brothers in arms mm -hmm. like charities like brothers in arms the brothers in arms are a charity um they set up an app and in that app within 30 minutes or 60 minutes mm -hmm. i think you can be talking to a qualified psychologist so first app Absolutely. of its kind in the uk and they've done fantastic with it and i think that's something special because you try and get help now through the nhs a psychiatrist psychologist yep. you're what eight eight to 16 weeks yeah uh -huh. that, that's too late yeah. that's too late and obviously the, the cuts and all that stuff and they're spread thin as it is and then you're maybe you've got to maybe say are you getting the best service there mm -hmm. if they're so cut and they're do you know what i mean um and then if you've not got the money you can't go and pay 45 quid for a for, yep. for sessions if you're doing a weekly or you need two a week you know so that's... i tried that um, did you try and pay so what happened was my girlfriend um so i went to my doctor we speak to a mental health and, and i just some i was just sitting agreeing with everything you were saying there it's like i was going to a weekly appointment for two weeks and then before you know it it was fortnightly and then mm. like the click of your finger it was like once every couple of months mm. and i just felt at that time because I didn't want to be there, I was like, yep, I'm fine. But I wasn't fine as well. So there's that aspect, but there's also when I was explaining things and stuff, she could see that I was still hurting. I was still struggling. I still had these struggles every day. Um, but like she made that decision to go from weekly to fortnightly to monthly. Um, and then before you know it, my girlfriend's like, nah, you're, you're in that same place again. She was worrying. And when she worries, the relationship starts to fall again. Um, so I went and she she was looking into um, other people and it was there was a guy and I think it was like £55 a session or something like that. Um, and I went to him once and I was like, right, I'll arrange another appointment. Um, and he never texts me. So there's right, that so side of it. It was easy. I, and, um, I think so many people have this story where they'll go in and they'll just go is that a pride thing you're just like mm -hmm. i'm feeling better again yeah um you know you're just like because my my experience as i say in my first video i went to the to to see someone my mom sent me to see someone and and he gave me listen to a bit of my story i think i was just like it was 20 minutes of me just offloading you know what <laughs> i mean don't know what it was but bleh. and um he gave me the telegram high dose highest dose and they gave me antipsychotics in one visit one visit and sent me away That's so i'm thinking I'm, I'm i'm confused mm. in my own head now i'm mm -hmm. thinking man am i nuts like and um and that was for certain tendencies but 20 minutes mm -hmm. 20 minutes yeah here you go mate here's antipsychotics it's, it's 20 minutes like is that is that a big problem we have? I mean, mm. and people not text back. Is there is there enough care? Is there mm. enough personal care for him to just go, Dylan? Mm. You're right. Come in. Yeah. I know if you hire someone. Yeah. In a lot of cases, they will be a personal contact. Mm -hmm. You know, they will yeah. text you and they will check in on you and stuff like that. 
Um, but I just think there's a lot of tick the boxes um, when you go to these kind of things. It's like, course. right, I've, I've asked them this. We've had a sheet and you've filled in your day and what made you feel better. And that's another tick. And it's no getting into that deep, why do I feel like this? Mm -hmm. What made me feel like this today? Like, what, what can we then do to make it better? I just think there's no enough interaction on a one-to-one -one basis so it's all right going there sitting getting a catch-up this is who i am this is what i do and they go right well go and, go and take this home fill in a wee diary eat better do this and it's all things you already know that you can get off the internet and um, you can easily go on the internet and get all that i want somebody to like get to the deep stuff and then before you i don't even want i want to go there and no really say how i'm really feeling but she digs deep and she gets all that out and see when they get that out there's a relief I didn't feel at any point after those sessions that there was a relief. I never. And I never felt like, wow, that that is what I needed. And I, and that's the truth. That is the reality. And I think that we could do better um, as a society. But more importantly, like the NHS, I know they're rushed off their feet and things. But to me, those sessions weren't enough. They were not enough. And I don't know what it is. I, I, I don't know. But I just know I never got out of it what I should have. I was the same later on when I went to see someone again. The, the same, you went and you think, they're not even getting into me. Well, they're not even no. getting into me. They're, do they care? Do you know? They're not even mm -hmm. They're not even getting to the surface of what's wrong no. with me. And then you start going, you lose that wee bit of yep. trust. Do you know what I mean? don't know. Uh, Paul will know better here. It might be a, a very long process. Um, I certainly feel that. And then you feel a bit let down and then you think, oh, no. They're not helping me. Then you think there isn't a solution. Off. My, one of my saviours was actually Nurse Robertson. And um, her and her husband watched this. And uh, she sat down with me one time for an hour and a half. Doing um, surgery back in my hometown. And uh, I thought people must have been waiting there for her for ages, man. She was at me and I'm bawling my eyes out. I'm greeting her. She sat with me on a personal level get everything out of me. I ended up telling her everything that actually happened to my brother and stuff mm -hmm. like that, which didn't come out till later. Yeah. You know, everything yeah. out on the table. She knew me though from, mm -hmm. she didn't know me, but we grew up in the same town. Um, and I thought that personal touch was the difference for me. Getting that out. Mm -hmm. Whereas one of the other doctors here was just, they were so old school, it just anxiety yeah. wasn't a bloody thing. Mm -hmm. So I think that yeah. that personal touch, or maybe there needs to get NHS or rust off their feet, but it's no good enough. Yeah. It needs to be done. Yeah. There needs to be something in place. What's your thoughts? Have you got anything you want to... I think um, a lot of the time they'll just give you antidepressants or medicine and they'll be like, you'll be fine in a few weeks. Yeah. That's you. And you're like, well, no, I don't, I don't want to go down that route. I want to find out why I'm feeling like this so that in the future... I can know my triggers and I can do things that will make me better and make me feel better instead of turn to, to medication. Mm -hmm. um, certainly after Daniel had passed away and I had phoned the doctor to see if I could get help for me and my oldest son, um, they just said, well, we'll give you some medication and you should feel better in a few weeks. And I'm thinking that's, that's not why I'm phoning. I'm mm -hmm. not depressed, although somebody's died. I personally, I'm not depressed. I don't need medication to make me feel better. I need to go and speak to somebody so that I can be mentally okay for my own children yeah. as well, um, so that I don't suffer. Um, I, yeah, I just feel that medication is just a quick fix these days for absolutely everything. Um, and, and 
it doesn't really fix the problem. Yeah, definitely not at the start anyway. The Citalopram, when I was on it for a while, really levelled me, but it then turned me into someone who I didn't cry much. I know it kind of, I don't don't know the science of it, but I know it kind of monotones you, levels you Mm -hmm. out. So nothing would be too exciting and nothing would be too low. It allowed me not to have dark thoughts of my brother in time. That took a few months um, and stuff like that. How were the schools were you? How, How were the schools with you? So when I first... Not good. No. <laughs> um, well, when I'd first phoned to let them know, um, it was just, I'm sorry to hear that, I'll let his teacher know. And I was like... Lovely. Okay. Um, then it became, I really struggled getting Alex to school to the point where I, he used to walk to school himself um, and then I, he started to ask me to take him to school and then I'd got to the, the gate with him and he just crying just I couldn't get him past the gate so I took him home and I'd phoned the school and I says I'm not I'm not sending him into school like this I can't do it um he's absolutely beside himself she says well I'll phone you in the afternoon and I'll I'll see if he's coming in and I says well I can assure you he's not coming in for the rest of the day I says he's I need help put in place here I said all I've been given is I'm sorry for your loss I was like that's not good enough that's traumatic for a child yeah um, I says, I want to know how his schoolwork is. Is there help put in place for him? Is there like bereavement people there? Is, mm-hmm. is there people that's going to understand and talk to him? Um, which they didn't have. Um, so she went and spoke to the head teacher. They then ordered him a, a book and I sent in pictures. I think the book's been filled in once. I've never had a phone call to let me know how he's getting on in school. They did put in place when he is having bad mornings that I can take him in just after nine o'clock so he's not Mm -hmm. going in with all the other children. Mm -hmm. But due to COVID, I can't actually go in the building with him. So he's still getting himself pretty upset and he's he's having to leave me and getting torn away from me. And the teacher's like, oh, he'll be fine, He's, he's all right. And I'm just thinking, no, this is going to be really traumatic for him. So now, if he's having a bad morning, I just don't. I, I won't send him in. Take him out. Yeah. And as you, when you said before about the compassion, it's not there, is it? Where's no. the compassion here? Speak to a guidance teacher. Listen, check in on him once a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you might be busy. Check in on him when you see mm-hmm. him in the corridor once a day. Go and check in. How you doing, man? Blah blah blah. Speak to him. That can make you feel a lot better. Where is this? I feel like these days you get nothing unless you're paying money. No. Nothing happens unless you pay money. No one wants to go that extra mile, that personal, mm-hmm. you know, approach. We're, we're missing it. What is mm-hmm. what's this the society? What are we doing? What is what are we doing wrong? Do you think it's we're being conditioned into this almost selfish kind of lifestyle now where we just we don't care about anyone but ourselves. We're made to be that way, you know, because when you grow up in life, you do realise very soon that if you don't look after yourself, you're mm-hmm. you're going yeah. nowhere. But we we still need compassion and you know and and try to be empathetic. Mm-hmm. But it's just we've got such a a huge a huge problem in our hands, and we've got people like myself, like you, like you, you you're really passionate about men's mental health mm-hmm. now, aren't you? and you're going to try and do a lot of things in the future are you charity work and, mm-hmm. and all kind of awareness have you got any plans or 
Like, what's the next step for you guys? Are you are you getting things put in place for the, for the kids? And I stuff? would like to set up um, my own charity um, for men's mental health. Obviously, all my children are boys, and personally, I'll be damned if they grow up in a world where it's frowned upon for men to open up about their their emotions, their the way that they're feeling. Um, instead of growing up in this, um, you know, man up world. Um, so I definitely want mm. to to do a lot of charity work and raise awareness and money um, and help others as well in my own situation that have been left behind. Because um, I, ha- I have struggled quite a lot to try and get me and my eldest help. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously my youngest too, they're, they're not understanding, are too young to understand, but my oldest, he, he definitely understands and he's suffered quite a lot. And as a parent, it's it's absolutely painful to watch. That must be devastating. Mm-hmm. That's a really good idea about putting something in place for parents or the parent who's been left behind mm-hmm. um, to put something in place, put help in place. It's hard enough raising three kids, mm-hmm. you know, but when you're going through the trauma of losing your partner, etc., I can't even begin to imagine what you're going through, Rebecca. You're such a brave person. You're still young as well, do you know what I mean? For me, it's just to, to live in the day. Um, for obviously, we've been in addiction and stuff like that. Um, I've got a 12-step programme um, in my life, um, and I apply myself daily. Um, so I've only got this for the day. Tomorrow, I don't know what it's going to bring, but for me, it's about being in that positive mindset um, and that there is going to be challenges, there's going to be tough days, um, but it's about having the ability to, to trust myself and what I've built up, the courage to speak out, do things that are good for me. Um, and what I want to do as well um, is try and promote a, a positive message. And there's people reached out to me on Twitter and stuff like that when I posted about, obviously, my addiction. Um, for me, there's a lot of young people out there um, who choose to take drink and drugs and they think that's part of society and that's normal. Um, and I would just like to try and do something. I don't know what that something is yet, um, but just try and be an example to, to people that it's possible to get away from that and there's a life beyond that. Uh, you don't need that um, to function and make yourself feel better. Um, and, and that's it. Um, and I'm looking forward to obviously becoming a dad and things like that. And to say that I'm going to be a dad like without taking drinking drugs is the best thing. Um, and I really can't wait. Brilliant, mate. Guys, I want to thank you for, thank you both. Dylan, it was very, very brave. Um, what a future you've got ahead of you. Um, keep strong. I love the part you said about the addiction and you're still an addict and stuff. We had John Hartson on and who has had a gambling addiction, he says he'll always be an addict, so he needs to be very, very strong um, not to go back to it, etc. Rebecca, unbelievable. I'll always be here to support. You all right? You always reach out. Dylan, obviously, as well, I'm sure. Um, You get two people here you can always lean on, and um, I think you're so strong. You've done done amazing. You're incredible. I know the lives you go to, and um, I just want to to thank you both for, for joining us. Guys, that was a, a special episode today. Um, I'm going to try and do a lot more of this. It's hard to to come to this level where you're really opening up all the time, you know. And you guys in the next few days just might feel a bit, you know, <laughs> that's just natural because it is hard to open up about these things. But 
that doesn't mean we've not to do it. We have to keep opening up. We have to keep talking. We have to make talking trendy. If talking, making talking, I hate trends, but we need to make it a trend, you know, to get people to talk, to get men to talk about their mental health. Um, and let's not forget women as well, you know. Let's not forget, you know, we all, we all need to talk. We need to reach help. We need to get help. We need to reach out. There's nothing shameful about reaching out. It's probably the most brave thing you can do. So let's do it more. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Don't forget to subscribe at the bottom for future podcasts. Thank you.